0: The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And when you find 1 Corinthians 16, if you would join me in standing as we show our respect for the reading of God's Word, beginning a series of messages this month uh, on giving Uh, We need to have strong finances as we experience a transition time. We have a new staff member coming on board today with Matt Wright. Uh, In the future, sometime in God's timing, there'll be a new pastor to come on board. And the church needs to be strong financially uh, because there will be challenges in both of these situations as we bring two new people on board in our church. So uh, we want to think about finishing strong financially and we'll be looking at that all through the month of March. Reading from 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4, this is the word of the living God. Now about the collection for the saints, you should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send... With letters, those you recommend to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they can travel with me. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, the apostle Paul wrote nearly one half of the New Testament. And we have a lot of his epistles. In fact, a lot of Bible scholars believe that he wrote as many as five or six letters just to the church at Corinth. And you say, well, Brother Mike, why do we only have two of them? Well, some Bible scholars believe that all the letters he wrote to Corinth are enclosed in First and Second Corinthians. And you can read through them and kind of lay it out before you, and you'll see where there are different thought patterns in different sections of the letter. But the church at Corinth was the most troubled church in the ancient world. Now, all churches have problems. The church at Jerusalem had a problem. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and dropped dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Every church had problems in the New Testament. But the most problematic church by far was the church at Corinth. They had a problem with leadership. Some of them wanted to do what Paul said. Some of them wanted to do what Apollos said. Some of them wanted to do what Peter said. Some of them were super spiritual and said, we're just going to do what Jesus says. And Paul had to correct them on that. Some of them were allowing immorality... In the church, there was a man in the church who was actually living with his stepmother. It was not his mother. It was his father's second wife, and this man was living with her, which was immoral in ancient days. And Paul said, you warn him, and if he doesn't repent, you put him out. And we have record evidence that the man repented and was restored to fellowship within the church. They had a problem with their conduct. They had a problem with their doctrine. They did not even know how to celebrate the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about how to do the Lord's Supper. And two of the greatest chapters in the Bible are in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, a chapter I read at almost every wedding that I perform uh, because it's so important to know about love. I think the greatest tribute to love is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And then the greatest chapter in the Bible on the resurrection is 1 Corinthians 15. Paul answers a lot of questions. The Corinthian church had questions about the resurrection, and Paul answered those. And he has just closed 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection with this verse. He said, therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And as he transitions from talking about the resurrection to talking about practical things in the last chapter, he says now about the collection for the saints. Now, some people would say, well, now he's quit preaching and gone to meddling. But no, he hasn't. He's gone to preaching more. Because in light of what God has done for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we owe God everything that we have. Not long ago, we were standing uh, in Gordon's Calvary. Uh, There's a place in Jerusalem called the Garden Tomb in Gordon's Calvary. And you go over to the side and you look at a hill that looks like a skull. And as we looked at that, uh, I'd ask Mary for us to sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And there's a verse in that hymn that says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And surely, if that kind of love demands everything that we have, we ought to be concerned about honoring God in the collection. Now, notice when what Adrian Rogers says. He said, when it comes to giving to the Lord's work, some people stop at nothing. And that's the sad truth. In this church right here, in our church, for years I would tell you that 50% of the members of our church never give anything to the Lord's work. You say, do you know who they are? No, I don't. I don't know who all gives to this church. I don't know uh, who doesn't give. The only person that I know whose amount they give is me and Mary because I have to report that on my income tax every year. I have made it a point not to know what anybody gives. I had a preacher friend one time who said he kept by his bedside a list of tithers. And I said, why in the world do you keep a list of tithers by your bedside? He said, well, number one, I pray for them every night. So he just prayed for the tithers, and, and then he said, and if I get a call in the middle of the night they need me to come out, I have to check make sure they're in that book before I leave. Now, I, I don't, I've never done that. I don't know who tithes and who doesn't, but I know this. In every church, about 50% of the members don't give anything. In fact, the old numbers were 50% gave nothing, 30% gave 20%, and 20% gave 80%. I asked Linda Kinnamore to get some numbers for me. I don't, I don't know any of the names that go with these numbers, but I will tell you this. Last year, we took in an undesignated funds. Now, that's not talking about funds that are, are designated funds. I'm just talking about money that came in through offerings in the plate and everything, undesignated offerings. Last year, we took in just a little bit less than $2.5 million. Now, well, that's a good number. That's an amen on that. But let me tell you what, out of that $2.5 million, About $1.8 million of that was given by 172 giving units. Now, I don't know who they are. I know I'm one of them. Mary and I are one giving unit. We're, We're in that 172. You know what that means? We have around 700 giving units. That means that over 520 giving units gave the rest of that offering, less than... A million dollars 172 gave 1.8 and the other 0.7 was given by all the other members of our church and by the way some of the people that gave were not even members of our church some of them attend faithfully and they give regularly but they've never joined the church so that is where we are today and the numbers are going up the numbers of people who are not giving anything have gone up They tell us today, uh, people that study the statistics on church giving say that now it's about 60% of the people uh, give nothing. And about 30% of the people give a little bit. And about 10% of the people in the church carry on the work of the church through giving to the Lord's work. Now, I want to talk to you about the call for the collection He says in verse 1, you should do the same thing as I instructed the Galatian churches. I want to talk to you about God's way in giving. First of all, when you talk about God's way in giving, you talk about tithing. Now, some people will say, well, preacher, don't you know that that is a legalistic uh, view of tithing? Well, let me straighten you out on your Bible history. Uh, Tithing predated the law. In fact, if you study the book of Hebrews like we're doing on Sunday night in our precepts class, you'll find that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek long before Moses was ever given the law. Abraham came upon this mysterious priest and who was the priest of the Most High God, and Abraham said, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything I have. Now, that's exactly what the word tithe means. The word tithe means 10%. I believe that that is the minimum for giving to the Lord's work. In fact, the Bible says the tithe is holy unto the Lord. I don't consider myself giving my tithe. I consider myself paying my tithe because it belongs to the Lord. And I'll just tell you what my daddy used to tell me. He said, son, if I don't pay the Lord my tithe, he gets it anyway. He said, if I, if I don't tithe, I'll have bills that I won't be able to pay. But he said, as long as I'm tithing, I've been able to pay all of my bills. My daddy taught me to tithe. I was tithing before I was saved. I was a lost church member when I went to work, and my daddy said, 10% of your offerings going in your offering envelope tomorrow. And because I lived in his house and ate his food and breathed his air, I was glad to give my 10%. My daddy taught me how to tithe. A tithe is 10%. In the Old Testament, it supported the tabernacle and the temple. In the New Testament, it supports the church. And by the way, you say, well, what does the church do, preacher? Well, the church does more than tithe. We give 14% to missions. In fact, if you look at our budget, it says right there, we give 10% of our budget, of our non-designated income, to the cooperative program, which goes all around the world, and and helps people in foreign lands, help people in the states, help trains missionaries and preachers and seminaries and things like that, 10% goes to the quarter program. 4% is is locally given. 2% goes to the Shelby Baptist Association. The other 2% we use on mission trips. You're going to hear more about a mission trip a little later on the service, but 14% we feel like if we ask you to tithe, the church ought to do more than tithe, and so we give 14% right off the top to mission. So that's the tithe. Now, what about an offering? Now, that's what this collection is. After you give your tithe, then you can give an offering. To me, if you haven't paid your tithe, if you give part of your tithe as an offering, that's not an offering. You're robbing God. But Paul is talking here about an offering. He says now about the collection for the saints. Uh, This was a special offering that was taken up to alleviate the suffering of the Christians in Jerusalem. Today, this would be offerings above the tithe for missions, ministries, and parachurch organizations. The tithe should not be considered as an offering because the tithe goes to the storehouse. Now, let me tell you what kind of offerings we can give. I I give uh, whenever we have a Gideon Sunday, I give to the ministry of the Gideons because they take the money that I give, they take every penny of it, and they buy scriptures with it, and they themselves distribute the scriptures. So there's no cost or no charge for distributing the scriptures. So every penny I give to the Gideons goes to distribute scriptures. A wonderful thing happened. We had a Gideon Sunday not long ago, and they told stories. They told about a lady who took the Gideon Bible home with her, and and, uh, when they found out that she had taken the Gideon Bible out of a hotel room home, uh, they thought the Gideons would be upset, and they said, Oh, no, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to take that Bible. There's a lady that was here that morning sitting in the back, and she heard that story. She works as a volunteer down at Shelby Medical Center. Later that week, a lady was sitting in the surgery waiting room reading the Gideon Bible, and she came over to her crying and said, You know, I think I used to own a Bible, but I haven't had one in years. And that lady who was in our church and heard the Gideons say, take the Bible, told this lady, well, take the Bible. They want you to have it. And she said, are you sure? She said, yes. I had two Gideons in my church the other day. They said they're glad for you to take that Bible. So that lady took that Bible. And guess what? Part of the offering we gave them that day to help them went to furnish Bibles for Shelby Medical Center. And within just a couple of weeks, they were down there replacing that Bible. I I love love to give to relief offerings through the the Southern Baptist Convention. Every penny goes to help people. I love to give to the Jimmy Hale Mission. Uh, We've had families in this church that have seen miracles happen in the lives of some of their members because the Jimmy Hale Mission was there and helped them get to a place they could have never gotten on their own. I have no problem supporting those kind of organizations. The Baptist Children's Home. Uh, All these other, we, we, we support the Worldwide Track Ministry, E3 Missions. All these are places where we can give an offering. Offering is over and above the tithe. And that's what this offering was. It was to help the saints in Jerusalem who were suffering. And then there's alms. And this is probably the most misunderstood giving. Because a lot of people feel like giving when Jesus said, Don't let your right hand know what your left hand does. They said, well, Jesus didn't put a whole lot of emphasis on giving. He just said, give and don't even pay attention to what you give. That is right. Jesus did say that, but he said it in context of helping poor people. What that means is if people need food and we can help them, we ought to give them food. We never turn away a person from this church who says, I need food. We give them food. We have a food, small food pantry downstairs, but it has food in it. Now, sometimes when we get the food and get ready to give them, they didn't really want the food. They wanted money. And I want to tell you this. If you want to waste your money, you let somebody stand on the side of the road and hold up a sign that says, we'll work for food. Or a sign that says, unemployed, need food. Now, listen, I'm not saying we should be cruel to those people. Do what they ask you to do. Give them some food. One day when Scott Bush was on our staff, he called me. And I said, what is it, Scott? And he said, man, a lady in our church just saw this guy down at Food World. He had a sign, we'll work for food. And she gave me $20 and told me to go buy him some food. What do you think I ought to do? I said, well, go buy the man some food. So Scott went to the Food World. It was there at the time and got the man some food. Man was standing out in front of Food World. Scott drove up and said, here's a bag of groceries for you. He said, man, I don't want that. And Scott said, well, your sign says I will work for food. And he said, yeah, but I want money. I don't want food. I want money. Now I want to tell you this, if you come along somebody like that and they don't want food, they want money, they'll take that money and do something with it you wouldn't want them doing with it. You say, where did you learn that? Tony Cooper, the Jimmy Hale Mission said, the worst thing in the world you can do to somebody that's doing that is give them money. It will go for drugs or alcohol or even something worse than that. You say, well, what do you do, preacher? I feed people. Years ago when the Baptist bookstore was downtown on University Boulevard, there was a, used to be a Sneaky Pete's across the street. Now, some of you that know me know that I love a Sneaky Pete. I mean, man, that sauce. And I even like Tony's here in Pelham, but Sneaky Pete's are good. And I would always arrange it where I would go to the Baptist bookstore down there around lunchtime. And I, when, I, when I got out of the Baptist bookstore and put the stuff I got from the church in the car, I just walked across the street to Sneaky Pete. And I walked across the street one day, and there was a man sitting on the sidewalk, and he had a speech impediment, and and I could just barely understand him, and he said, I'm hungry. And I said, can you eat a hot dog? He said, "Uh uh-huh. I went in Sneaky Pete's, and I bought him two hot dogs, and a bag of chips, and a pint of milk, and I carried him out there and gave them to him. He started digging into him like he hadn't had anything to eat in a week. And I, as I gave it to him, I said, I do this in Jesus' name. We ought to help people. By the way, if you have somebody that has a fire and they get burned out, the Shelby Bad Association has a warehouse full of things that they'll help them with, if you'll just let us know. We can help people who are burned out. If they'll just contact us, we can put them in touch with Shelby Bad Association, Diane, I'm, I'm pretty sure we could even get them to bring some stuff to them if, because there's a trailer over there. You say, how do you know that they'll do that? Well, we, we give pretty liberally to the Shelby Baptist Association, and I'm sure they'd be glad to help us any way they could help another family. Those are alms. People, you, and by the way, you don't count that. I don't turn my alms giving in on my income tax. I do that in Jesus' name and trust Jesus to reward me for what I do for others in his name. And then lastly, there's grace giving. God endows certain people with the opportunity to give at a level where it seems beyond their ability to give. One of the men that was in this church that had that capacity of grace giving was a man named Butch Collin. Butch put these lights in this building you see here. I I can tell you more than that. In the old gym down at Church Street, he put in every electrical fixture, every light, And for years, we didn't buy a light bulb because Butch would send his people up here, not just to bring light bulbs, but to put them in. The last thing Butch Collum did before he died, he came by the church on a Thursday afternoon and asked Pat, how much do we need to reach our Lottie Moon Christmas goal? It was $12,000 and something. He pulled a check out of his checkbook and signed it and said, Pat, make it out to, I didn't bring my glasses, make it out to the church and fill in the amount we need to reach our Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal. Pat wrote that in there, went down and turned it into the financial office. We reached our Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal on that Thursday. Friday morning, Butch Collum went to get a haircut, came back to his house, and had a massive heart attack and died. Last thing Butch Collum ever did that I know of before he went to get that haircut, was help us reach our Lottie Moon Christmas. There is no telling the amount of money Butch Collum gave. To, not, not just through this church. Butch Collum was always helping. Now, not everybody has that. You know what Butch told me? He said, preacher, the Lord gives it to me, and as long as I'm not selfish and stingy you with it, he just keeps on giving it to me. You may not have the opportunity to be a grace giver, but if you do, You're blessed because God has endowed you with a gift of giving. And make sure you use it for his glory. So that's the call for the collection. That's the type of collections we need. The offering for the churches in Jerusalem was a collection. It was a special offering for the church in Jerusalem. But then notice the commands about the collection. On the day, he says, on the first day of the week, you say, well, isn't that Monday? No, the first day of the week is Sunday. The seventh day is the Sabbath. That's Saturday. From Sundown Friday to Sundown Saturday is the Sabbath day. It's the seventh day. At Sundown, in the Jewish mindset, at Sundown on Saturday begins the first day of the week on Sunday. That's why Jesus was in the grave three days. They put him in the grave before sunset on Friday. That was Friday. The sun set on Friday, it became Saturday. The sun set on Saturday, it became Sunday. And that's why they say on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women went to the grave and found Jesus had risen. On the first day of the week, that's the day when Christians gather to worship in honor of the resurrection. The day on the first day, the givers, he said, each one of you, each one of you, every one of you is to lay something aside. God expects all of us to give the proportion, and save in keeping with how he prospers. Again, this is for an offering. This is not the tithe. But if you want to give, if God has prospered you a lot and you want to be blessed, then you need to give in an offering, uh, an amount that, that is worthy of the blessings God has given you. You see, not all are give, told to give the same. You know, we can set a goal and say, uh, let's have $50,000 for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal, and, and 50 of you give a $1,000. Well, some of you would say, hey, I'm glad to get by with just $1,000. I usually give a lot more to that at the Christmas offering. Some of you would look at me and say, preacher, there's no way in God's earth I could ever give $1,000. But you know, when God gives us, and by the way, where do we get our stuff? It comes from God. You say, no, my boss gives it to me. Well, where do you think your boss gets the stuff? He gets it from God. It goes all the way back to God. He says... Save in keeping with how he prospers, not all the same. And here's the reason, so that no collection will need to be made when I come. Now, normally I don't worry about the offering. I really don't. I preach on stewardship, and I trust the Lord. But you know, every year I've been here, I've always had December to count on. I announced in November I was retiring in May, and spring is usually our toughest time. We have so many people involved in so many things. Upward just came to an end yesterday, and it was my day at Upward. I had a great day. And tonight at 5 o'clock, I hope you'll be here. I hope you'll come for the Upward celebration. This is something your church does, and you need to see all the good it does. But I also know softball and baseball began, and people are involved in that. And it costs money to do all that. Well... We need to be ready when a new pastor comes. I don't want him to get in here and say, man, that old geezer left me with a bunch of money in the red. We need to finish strong financially and be ready for a new pastor to take us to new heights. Now notice lastly the celebration because of the collection. Paul says, I promise you my presence when I come. He said, I'm coming to Corinth, and when I get there, I want the offering to already be collected. Notice his promise, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem. And then there was a possibility, he said, and if it is suitable for me to go as well, they can travel with me. A long time ago I learned I can't outgive God. And I also learned this. I make it a point not to know what anybody in this church gives. I, if I look at you, I don't say, well, there's a $10,000 giver. There's a 50-cent giver. I look at you as sheep, and you all look the same to me from here. That's the way it ought to be. But if it bothered you to think that I might know what you give, shouldn't it bother you even more to know that God knows what you give? We don't have to send God a record of your financial giving. God knows that. Now, now hear what I say last. Now, if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. Don't think you can substitute giving money for giving yourself. The Bible says we are to give ourselves first to God. I don't want you to give a dime to God if you're not saved. Because you might get the idea, well, I gave money to the Lord's work. I'm saved. No. Anybody can give money to the Lord's work. A few weeks ago, I told y'all I had watched David Jeremiah when they debuted the new David Jeremiah Study Bible. They did it at Madison Square Garden Theater, and he preached one of the strongest sermons on the Word of God I've ever heard. And the amazing thing about it is they showed the audience, and in the audience, I noticed a guy And when I first saw it from the side, I said, that looks like, nah, he wouldn't be there. And then in a minute, they focused on him. And you know who it was? It was Donald Trump. And he was listening to David Jeremiah preach a sermon on the word of God. And I got to thinking, boy, what could the Lord do with all of Donald Trump's money? And the Lord spoke to me and said, I didn't send my son to die for his money. I sent my son to die for his soul. And I remember what Donald Trump said years ago in an interview. Somebody asked him, do you believe in heaven? Here's what he said. I don't know if there's anything after death or not. I really don't know if there's anything after death. And I thought, how foolish to be so wise about the ways of the world, make money hand over fist, and not know that your eternal soul is going to spend eternity with God. I hope he listened to David Jeremiah, and I hope he gets saved And then after he gets saved, I hope he starts learning how to give his money to God. But it's got to be in that order. I don't want him to give money to God in order to think that God will save him for his money. You know what that old hymn says? In my hands, no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. God loves you, not your money. But if you love God you'll be faithful to him in giving money to his work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truths about the collection that Paul taught to the Corinthians. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us would examine our own hearts and lives. And Father, I know there are many people that if they come to church, they give, and if they don't come, they don't give. And Father, whether they come or not, the work of the church goes on 52 weeks a year, 365 days. Father, you're faithful to give us new mercies every morning. You're faithful to give us the air we're breathing right now. You're faithful to provide for our needs. Father, may you also find us faithful in returning to the storehouse a portion of what you've given to us. Now, Father, if someone's here today and they're not saved, I pray they won't hear anything about money. But I pray they'll hear how much you love them. You love them so much you sent the Lord Jesus to die on the cross for them. And I pray they would respond to that love today by giving themselves first to the Lord. Father, if there are those that need a church home, if there are those who need to be baptized, if there are those who just need to come to the altar and get right, Lord, let this invitation be a time when they do that. And we'll be very careful and very sure to give Jesus all the honor and all the glory. For only he is worthy. And we make this prayer, give this invitation in his name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our hymn of invitation, hymn number? Hymn 488. Hymn number 488. Let's stand together. Brother Donnie's coming. Down here. Brother Paul's coming. Brother Don's already down here. You need to make a decision. Step out right now. From the balcony, step out. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.